Welcome to episode 254 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters here in Los Angeles, a.k.a. the kitchen table. This week on the show, we have Kendra Slack and Jordan Kopechka, the co-artistic directors of Linked Dance Theater out of New York City, who are on board this week to talk about their latest show, Like Real People Do, Long Distance Relationships Division, which is a uh, new installment of uh, a series they've been doing uh, for a few years now that uh, has now gone online because of the current pandemic. Um, we're going to get into the, like, the, the, the full details on the show uh, during the course of the interview, so I don't want to go too far, but I, I do want to say this piece, uh, it wasn't what I was expecting going in, uh, and uh, I, I, I would have I been super happy to find what I was expecting, finding what I didn't expect and having it be so good, uh, was very exciting. So this has been one of my favorite things, uh, in, in, in the, in the time of COVID, um, just a, a really sweet piece, uh, an, an episodic series that uses, uh, the strengths of the medium that, uh, it's been forced into and avoids a, a lot of the pitfalls, a lot of the pitfalls, that we have with our, our current technical limitations. So there you go. That's that's a bit of the setup here. Uh, just uh, time for a quick check-in. I'll, I'll maybe talk a little bit more on the back end. I'm, I'm having kind of an odd week. Um, let's check in on the Patreon, as we often do. No, uh, Patreon.com slash NoPersinium, which is uh, our lifeline to the world. Uh, we're up to 336 backers. Um, just a few more days till the end of the month, which is when Patreon resets the clock all the time. Um, it, it'd be awesome to get four more backers before the end of the month. So we could say we got up to 340 backers this week. Uh, our latest backers are uh, Jessica John, Nick Tierce, uh, and Deadpan1113. <laughs> if you write it, I'll put it in. Uh, and everybody can look forward to uh, getting some social media shout outs when I go back on social media next week. Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sydney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. Seriously, thank you all so much. Um, I'm still working on my coffee. You're going to listen to the interview. It's quite nice. And we'll be back here afterwards. Uh, and, and maybe I'll have something worth saying. Maybe I won't. Let's see how the morning goes. All right. So Jordan and Kendra, thank you for joining me in the virtual space today. Um, for those who, who don't know linked dance theater and who don't know you know, the existence of like real people do before the dark times, before the pandemic. <laughs> Could you guys kind of kind of give the 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 the, the speedy version of it? Because like I've I've never gotten to I never got to see any of your work until this online version of it. But going back to the days of when Zay was our curator. So uh, before before Catherine was working with us, which seems like was never the case um uh you know zay was just you know, speaking uh singing the praises of y'all's work so um yeah give us give us the breakdown uh do you want to take this one kendra sure go ahead all right all right so likely like real people do is sort of a harebrained idea that i had back in 2015 after sort of like like seeing sleep no more a couple of times and then thinking about like what like the real world could like what we could offer like in a real world experience and just thinking about this like liminal space between both the performance that we have in our everyday lives and like the performance that like you see on the streets of new york and 
um, I asked Kendra, who we had sort of started making art uh, about a year prior to sort of like workshop or like do this strange performance with me. And we sort of uh, created this strange experience called Like Real People Do, in which you followed this couple on a time lapse of their rela relationship. Um, and we sort of asked our audience if they would, you know, try to keep up with like how the relationship was flowing. And so you went to dinner with the, 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 the couple and then you followed them on the time lapse of their relationship across Manhattan. Fast forward about three years and we, we actually redid the performance um, with two wonderful performers, Nikki Romanello, who's also in the, the current version and Katie Henley. Um, and we sort of reworked the show um, and created a, a more sort of immersive uh, entrance and magic circle for the show, um, which sort of created the Department of Manhattan Memory, which you sort of saw and know today, or at least you see in our show, our current show of Like Real People Do. So the, the department didn't arrive, that sort of meta package didn't occur until the second iteration of the show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the first back in 2015 iteration was really more of a site-specific performance. Um, and yeah, the 2017 version with Nikki and Katie brought um, that immersive framing to it. And now this version in 2020 um, really leans in and, and really the, the department uh, aspect of the show has, it, it almost has taken a front seat um, this time. So we, we really got to delve into that world and expand that world even more for this iteration of the show. Now, this iteration of the show, like many a pregnancy, was not planned. Um, <laughs> it just sort of happened. Um, but there was, I wonder if you talk a little about, because um, there's there's some particulars about the the current show um, that feel like they might have been born out of, out of the direction things were going in. So I wonder if you guys could talk... Um, I'll just sit back after this little part and just, could you tell the story of how <laughs> this online version and not even version, but this like online edition of what is now kind of y'all's signature series came to be? Yeah. Well, um, it sort of started with uh, the here festival and, and creating um, a little piece uh, that was going to be seen at the here festival Um sort of in the courtyard of the Pasadena Playhouse and around um, sort of the block or a couple streets within the Pasad like within walking distance of the Pasadena Playhouse. So we wanted to create a version of like real people do that felt very specific to Pasadena. Um, so because of that, we, we created this other department, the Department of Pasadena Possibilities. Uh, of course, it had to have alliteration. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the department is very militant about its use of alliteration in, <laughs> in, in naming of its branches. I don't know if you know that, but they're very, they're, they're very strict about that policy. I mean, there's the Department of Dallas Desire. Yes, yeah. Um, Washington yeah, Whimsy. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, La Jolla longing. <laughs> you could go on and on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea was we were going to try and create something akin to our 2017, like real people do, but in Pasadena. Um, and so we, we were leaning into the fact that Nikki Romanello, our company member, uh, he lives in out, out there in LA. Uh, Jordan and I obviously still live in New York. So it was going to be about a couple that was doing long distance and the New York resident coming to visit the, the Pasadena resident um, and them sort of connecting. And um, basically what them sort of having these uh, secrets or things that they haven't hadn't expressed to each other that were going to come out in this, in this meeting um, in this sort of pressure curve, cooker of only having a few days together and and what does that do to a relationship and um how are the memories of that time uh j just having that such a significant and sort of um short condensed. period of time yeah how how, how hmm. they're condensed and how they um when you look back on a moment like that um what do those memories look like uh, so that was the impetus 
behind the show. And we spent several months actually working on that version that was going to be a live version um, that Nikki and Jordan were going to perform in. And I would sort of, again, like in the 2017 version, serve as this department member that really took more of a backseat. Um, and I would, I would have been more of a facilitator to bring the audience into the world of this couple. But, but the story of the couple really would have been sort of more forward. Um, and it, once we kind of realized that that live version wasn't going to happen, unfortunately, um, things started to reverse. Um, and, and we spent another several months uh, working on this. Yeah, we, we, we spent several months working on the live version and then another couple months working on adapting it to become um, a remote show. But it, it's funny how the story started to invert. Um, and so ultimately in this version that we have now, it's really the story of the people at the department and these two characters, Cornelia and Daphne. And, and Luke and Leo's relationship is still important, but it's almost a vessel for bringing Cornelia and Daphne together. So in a way, it, it's, it's sort of interesting how COVID sort of changed not only our perspective on what like real people do is, but like how we were presenting the show, because in reality, we realized that what's interesting about like real people do is the, the veil is broken. I mean, it's interesting. The veil was broken in the original show. Kendra would take an audience member in the like original 2015 version. She walked with them and she told them a story. Um, and then we continue that veil breaking throughout the, the you know, sort of reiteration. And they were going to push the envelope for the Pasadena Playhouse. But when we started looking at like how to bring it online, it actually didn't work to have the sort of couple live interacting with strangers. Um, it made more sense for the, the entrance to be about the department um, and to make it more about how the department actually interacted um, with these individuals, and it gave us a little bit of a chance to actually dig into this lore, as well as the, as well as the, the whimsy of the department and who they are and and how they they sort of operate. And then it it sort of started revealing itself as that there was this sort of meta relationship going on that we really needed to really dig into, but also that how like even these sort of um, you know immortal beings sort of communicate with each other of like they communicate with like memories in an odd way, like memories of other people. Um, and it sort of shows the sort of, um, well, how like, you know, I guess something that comes up in all of our shows is how they're human too, um, in, in, you know, flawed and, you know, malleable. Yeah, the, the, what fascinates me about this arc, the development wise is, just when you found that you were going to be, you know, doing that inversion, right? Because there's something about the end product that it just, it feels so natural. It feels like something that was not discovered, but was set out to be made, if you know what I mean? Um, which, you know, I think a lot of art, a lot of good art in particular, has that illusory effect, right? You know, you look at it and you're just like, oh, well, this must have been what it always was, right? And then you start to dig in and you find it like, no, no, we found this. We found this in the middle. So um, was there a, a particular point in in the development when you guys realized, oh, here's here's what's up. Here's when you know, this is going to be Cornelia and Daphne's story, actually. And here's where we're going to flop things. Was there was there a moment like that? or? Yeah, there definitely was, I would say, a period of a couple weeks, maybe about halfway through, halfway through our germination period for the remote show, um, where we had all these elements, we had all the characters, we were trying to figure out... Uh, how the episodes were going to progress because that's a, another very new thing for us. We've never done yeah. episodic work before. Um, so just trying to figure out how do you write episodes effectively and, and what information needs to be planted when, and, and how much do you want to reveal slash how much do you want to save? So I think in, in the midst of that process, 
I, I don't know if you remember this, Jordan, but I, I think there was a very clear time period where, where we where we were discussing this idea of whose story is this really? And I think we we all ended up realizing, oh, no, it's it's Cornelia and Daphne's story. And, and Luke and Leo are very important to that story because Luke and Leo, as well as I would say the audience member, are sort of the catalyst for for the the reaching out and, and Cornelia and Daphne's desire to reconnect um, and sort of salvage their own fractured relationship. So I, I actually think that it was mid-April, actually, that we, we were really hardcore discussing the relationships and also, like, who was hero. Because I, I distinctly remember, mainly because, like, we got into a, a sort of... Uh, a discussion about how like how we could potentially continue the Luke and Leo storyline um, and making sure that everything felt complete. I think it was like mid-April, it was probably April 15th, you know, April 16th, sometime around there, where we were really sort of hashing out like how to, if the, the Here Festival, knock on wood, ever comes back, um, you know, for, for resurgence, how we could, you know, still present this story as an extension of the story that we were, you know, writing for the online platform. And I, I remember us really talking about like Cornelia and Daphne's relationship and how we didn't want it to seem like they were lovers, but how we wanted to present a different sort of style of relationship and sort of open that gate a little bit um, past just sort of being lovers and sort of really talk about the, the the sort of you know modulation of memory and how like the this other aspect this other idea beyond the the geolocation of love which was the original sort of insight for this you know sort of behavioral like quality of the show was like you visit these spaces in these cities that you know super well you know under the arch in Washington Square Park or under a, a street lamp you know in in Christopher on you know near Christopher Street Pier where you've you've had these emotional interactions and there's something that's like left there and that was the original idea but the sort of shifting of that you know to sort of like um this like other you know other type of relationship where these two people were sort of um you know at odds with each other about something that's, you know, so essential to what they both do, which is, you know, the sort of categorization and the art, you know, archiving of memories. Well, there's something, there's something where you're just talking about, and it feels like both a significant artistic challenge, both for your, your, you as a company, but also a, a key artistic challenge that I think a lot of people in our space are facing, which is, you know, the original versions of the show are about site-specific work, geolocation. Like there's a brilliance in the simple idea of you're watching someone's memory play out where it was. I mean, that's that's how ghost stories work, right? Like the 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 memories are just there. And there's there's something particularly true about linking space and and romance and relationships. Um, I always think about there's a buddy of mine who had you know, we, we were friends in uh, college in San Francisco and like he went to go pursue acting in New York and about a, a year or two into that sojourn, he came back to the Bay, wasn't from the Bay, like he's actually from the Southland, he came back to the Bay and was just, just desperately had to get out of New York for a minute because he had had a relationship that had gone bad. And the space of the city was just sort of filled up with those memories. And so he needed to just be physically not around the stuff that was reminding him of that. And, and that, you know, because that's, that's the dark side of it, but the, the power of the site specific aspect of, of what everybody does or, or the, the built space uh, aspect is that putting bodies in space, putting these stories into space, you know, it, it, it's one of the main ingredients that makes it all come alive. And then to have that tool ripped away, um, how much of a crisis. <laughs> that? <laughs> like here's this, here's, here's your big tool. Here's kind of like, you know, the anchor of the show. Well, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I would say 
Jordan and I and the company as a whole, all our amazing company members and artists, we've gotten really good at doing a lot with a little. And um, oftentimes it, it's the very challenges that, that seem like crises um, that, that help us push the envelope and, and try something new that, that we never would have tried before. Um, we so always... What do, you find yourself, what do you find yourself leaning into? There. Like, <laughs> yeah. what, was, what, was, what was the thing like it's like oh oh wow the thing is gone oh wh- wh- yeah where where did your hands land i think it was definitely um this idea of trying to explore dance for film and mm. this idea of um we, we've dipped our toes into dance film a, a little bit um we're actually working on one right now. We filmed four years ago, uh, <laughs> trying to, to trying to finish it and edit it and release it at some point. Um, but but it's something I think we are very interested in, and, and it's a different art form and it's a different medium. And there are very interesting things you can do with dance on film that you can't do with live dance. So that is really what we tried to lean into. We tried to create little mini dance films. Um, that could explore this idea of dance for the camera and and what part of the body you can see and what part of the body you can't. And then ultimately we tried to push that even further of, okay, well you have two dancers and in a, in two separate spaces, but can, can their movements still interact somehow? Um, So I think that's what we really tried to lean into. We, we always try to lean into our limitations. I think. What's interesting is I think that, there is some really beautiful stuff that's um, not like hyper, like, you know, I think that when you watch some dance films, they like, they seem like dance films. Like there's like this like regard, like I think of Pontus Lindbergh or um, even like some of like what Seeger Rose like released yeah, like a couple of years ago. Yeah. City Larby, the choreographer on that music video. Right. But like, you know, those are sort of hyper stylized and, you know, we even had some friends release like dance films recently, but there's something interesting about making dance conversational in a way that's approachable and in a medium that like is so familiar to the sort of time that we're in, which is like all Just, like, like the iPhone, the FaceTime video or the Zoom window. You know, how do you how do you create a, a space that feels familiar enough to that like the audience isn't scared by the, you know, or like the, the sort of pristineness, but then it's also sort of captivated by the innovation of movement and how you tell a story in a, a different way. Um, I think also... that was this, what's that? Oh, no, please. <laughs> no, I, I think also that was just sort of like the challenge that we were really like trying to lean into is that like the things that we hold so dear and that we, we sort of, um, I think idolize in a, you know, a healthy way, the dance and the theater and the things that like we, we really think of are like our North stars were, were something that we didn't want to let go of. And we were like, how can we continue to do this in this space? When you find in, in the work as it is now, there's this, there's a, 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 a split in the media and the, the pre-recorded segments are where the dance is happening and then the live segments are where the interactions happening. Um, had you explored dance in, in the Zoom window? <laughs> like, had you, had you thought about that or, or did you find, cause there's something about, there's something about this that you're, you're painting with more parts of the, of the palette. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I would say we might have considered it for a very brief period of time, but I think we decided that it wasn't really, at least for the world that we created, we're always very, um, very intentional about what does dance mean in the story that we're telling. Uh, We don't want to just use dance because we are dancers and we like dance, though we we very much do. Um, but we always ask ourselves very intentionally, what is dance doing for this story and what purpose is it serving? And so we really settled on 
the fact that dance was the memory modulation. Dance was representing how the memory had changed because it was being revisited. And then that, because of that, that didn't really make sense for that to be a live component. Um, yeah, I definitely, with, definitely, de oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, no, yeah, I was just going to say with the live characters. Yeah, I, I would definitely say we totally considered it. We were, we, we considered so many things. We considered a, you know, a possibility of, you know, actually calling Luke and Leo, like actually having a live conversation or, you know, having the audience member, you know, witness something that was live and like sort of sneaking a peek at like something that was going on. But we, we really settled on this, this format. Um, I think that it also sort of kind of reflects the time that we're in, right? Like we're all sort of, sort of sitting and observing the world around us in different ways and sort of reflecting on all the things that are happening and reflecting on, you know, the memories that we do have, you know, sort of while in quarantine, I think it, it sort of serves as a sort of reflection. But I also think that um, in that moment where we were sort of considering like dancing, like while on Zoom or like while like live with an audience member or even potentially having an audience member dance with us, we sort of felt like it it took away from the this the stylized world that we had built it didn't feel natural um and i also think that comes from a a sort of visceral uh response to how like when you do dance with someone um IRL it's very different um, than when you're sort of like dancing on screen um we we definitely have you know ex explored in you know our previous works of like you know having people dance with us you know or having people like, you know, interact with like movers and, and play with movers in, you know, various ways, but it didn't feel authentic, um, whatever that word means, but it didn't feel authentic enough for this, this show. You also mentioned earlier that, you know, this was your first episodic. Um, what was, what was the decision making there? Was that, was that something that, you wanted the challenge you were looking at scheduling issues because there's like there's ways in which it couldn't it could have not worked but this worked it worked really well and, and that it was episodic and kind of takes place over a, sh a short span of time I, I love how it gives the story time to breathe without it necessarily being a lot of rumination on the part of the audience um it just starts to become this little pocket uh reality that you get to touch base a couple of times so why why make that choice though like you could have just knocked out a bunch of 45 minute sessions you know item for item i think it was probably two two things i think that um i mean i guess i started working from home um earlier on and i remember the sort of like zoom fatigue i was feeling but mm -hmm. then i when when was the here festival actually um, march 27th 28th and 29th <laughs> so, it's oh, sort of burned sad. into my brain <laughs> yeah <laughs> so those like actual dates i actually we were in a small group and i, I mentioned it i think it actually might have even been to evan was it to evan i think it was he leading one of those small groups in the first day? I think so. It could have been, well yeah. Yeah, I think it might have been Evan um, of Candle House. I think that I mentioned that we were like thinking about doing an episodic. Um, I'm not exactly sure where the idea came from, other than like it felt necessary that like you didn't want to sort of overload an audience member with too much information. And you also wanted the story to, we wanted the story to breathe. Um, do you remember, Kendra? I'm actually trying to think about this and I don't remember this decision happening either. <laughs> um, I, I, But I think you're right. I think it had a combination, it was a combination of factors of um, the Zoom fatigue uh, that is very real. And um, also I, th I think it was just the nature of how we started discovering Daphne and Cornelia and how they were going to interact with the participants over the course of this idea of interviewing for the job and then okay then you're gonna have to be trained for the job and so that sort of lends itself to a couple different interactions over a couple days and so I think it was just as we started 
to tease out the story and to tease out the world and specifically to really hone in on the audience's role in the world. I think it just presented itself to us as being necessary. Oh, like this has to unfold over a couple of different episodes for this world to really make sense. And and I think, Noah, what you said um, was exactly what we wanted audience members to take away. We wanted them to feel like it was just this little pocket universe that they got to enter for a week. Um, and I think the episodic nature of, of it really helps, helps to paint that picture for people. Yeah, I think it was definitely breathing room. And we also just wanted to try something new and given the space and given the, the, the sort of digital um, nature of it all, we realized that it would be a, the, a really good time for us to try something episodic, not only just to, you know, to try the medium of something digital, but to try telling an episodic story, because I think that oftentimes we're offered, you know, beautiful spaces, unique spaces in New York City, and we jump on them, but that doesn't necessarily give us the time to really plan an mm. episodic show. And so the digital space sort of gave us that opportunity. And I think it was a unique one and one we really wanted to lean into because, you know, you get a, a space for two months on Governor's Island or you get a church on the Upper West Side for, you know, a month and you're, you know, you're in and out and then the show is done and you don't really have time to like think episodically. So this, this medium in particular gave us the ability to imagine a new, a new world. Yeah, we we love new things, and we always uh, we we go a little crazy. But with every single show, we're like, okay, what 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 is what are we gonna do this time that's new that we've never done before? And sometimes we 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 kill ourselves or, or shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit with that. But um, I, I think live it is, interactive audio, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like what what can we do that we've never done before? Have you also found that you're connecting with audiences you haven't had a chance to connect with before? Definitely. Um, people who are not in New York, um, other creators that we've wanted to meet for a while now who uh, finally have the opportunity because we all have more downtime um, to partake of the work. I, I mean, sort of like Jordan was saying Unfortunately, with the live shows um, in these amazing spaces, you don't really get them for that long. You know, Remembrance was our longest run so far, and that was only, it was like two months. That was it. Um, so really, we're it definitely, I mean, it definitely was a sort of a huge pivot for us, but um, it really has opened us up to new ideas, new audience members, and um, we're, we're going to try and keep this show going through the end of this year, through the end of 2020. So it'll it'll sort of be the longest, if, if we do that, it'll have been the longest running show we'll ever have had as well. I'd also like to take a pause that, you know, we are always looking for new spaces and that oh, if anyone yes. wants to <laughs> offer us a long-term space, we're totally willing to take a, a six month stint or, you know, whatever we're, you know, we're, we're always looking for opportunities to, to try new things and to, to create stories and, and beautiful and wonderful and unique spaces in the city. And well, I guess now outside of the city. Has the reaction to the show been what you expected or better than you expected or um it's it's been interesting i it, it's been very very positive and um we we've gotten so much wonderful feedback from our uh initial participants and all the play testers that we uh we had go through it um but it's funny i i feel like with this show i i didn't more so than other shows in the past, I didn't know what people were going to think. I didn't know how they were going to react. Um, and I think the show has really hit a nice rhythm and a nice stride. And by episode four, it really does feel like we are connecting with them and, and that they've gone on this journey with us and that uh, things are really paying off for them. Um, which is very delightful to watch, you know, cause you, you do all this work and you, you just, you're like, Oh God, please. I hope, I hope they like it. I hope they get it. I hope they, you know, I hope it connects with them. I hope they enjoy the time that they spent in this world. 
I feel like that's every creator, uh, every creator's wish, you know, in the back of our mind is like, oh, please just let someone like us, please let someone get it. <laughs> For sure. I guess like, you know, Kendra, I'm relying on your your, your, your and Rita's word, which is, I think, why I'd sort of ask, you know, expectantly every night how things go just to sort of see. But the, the couple of friends that I've had interactions with have really been complimentary um, about the show and about their experience, um, even how, like, you know, how tentative and how, like, timing seems really great. And, like, it's just, it's just the right amount of time. It's not too much or too little, right, that you're spending each episode and that the, the narrative progresses in a nice way. And um, it's, yeah, it's been interesting. And, you know, we've only had, you know, what now we're looking at after this month, we'll have had 30-something. Yeah, like 30, 33 official audience members, but that doesn't take into account any of our play testers. So probably like around 40, 40, 40 people total to have experienced the piece. So you're running like what, like five people through a week or something like that? Like, exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, and that's, that's kind of a, that's kind of like an interesting model too, right? Like it's like, it's not that many not that many participants, but because of the episodic nature of it, um, you know, it's, that still ends up being like 20, yeah. 20 performances a week. Yeah. It's still a, a good amount of work and, um, yeah. and, and doing those five <laughs> shows back to back is certainly, um, Rita McCann is our wonderful performer who plays Daphne Brooks. She's an amazing, amazing collaborator, co-creator. Um, but, uh, she and I definitely, when we, we do those five episodes back to back, it can be, it definitely is, uh, it, it tests your will sometimes as an actor, you know, just because it's such a different kind of, it, I, I feel like I'm doing so much face acting with just like, oh, my upper yeah. body. <laughs> and, and there's so much like tension and, and, and stuff going on that by the end of those, you know, four or so hours, you're just exhausted and you didn't even get up from a chair. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely, it's it, those kind of marathon sessions are, are, are a workout. And, you know, these are, these aren't short pieces, right? You know, this is like half hour, 40 minutes roughly. And yeah, you've got downtime when the video is running, but you know, you're on for a, a goodly amount of time and you're getting a lot of, you're getting a lot of real time feedback from the audience as you're doing it. Yeah, I would say that's something that I think has been the most fun for me and Rita. I mean, Rita is definitely a master um, at the quick comeback and the the integration of uh, audience sort of input into uh, into the narrative and into the script. But um, it's been something that's been, I think, great fun for her and I as performers to really sort of customize the experiences for people and to... Um, bring in a little nugget of something, something that they said maybe in episode one, but like continue to refer back to it all the way through. Cause certainly there's a script that we're going off of, but like things get shifted around based upon what the audience member does. Sometimes we have to cut and paste, you know, there are certain things we have to get in, but there is also a hugely, a huge improv element to it. in in that we're tr really trying to, customize the experience for for everyone which sort of lends itself to something that's a little bit unique each and every show which actually sort of you know i think creates this space that is truly immersive right like you don't have the environment but you definitely have this like space that is being co-created by audience and participant that i think is so crucial to the the immersive sort of feel right like you're, you're allowed to interact and you're allowed to sort of like, you know, flip the script and change the narrative. And, and, you know, that narrative is sort of, you know, it's a dark ride ish, but like, it's still, you know, the, the way that you, you ride it may be very different from, you know, the friends who sees it next week. What has this process, what muscle has this process developed for y'all as a company that you you don't think the pen you know, would have happened in a non-pandemic timeline? 
Um, I mean, it, it definitely forced us to work in different ways, just between between ourselves and trying to create the piece. Um, Nikki Romanello, who plays uh, Leo in the piece, but he was also a huge um, collaborator and we really brought him in as a co-creator on this piece. So he helped to write some of the, the script elements and he did a lot of work on sort of the ARX videos that you get sent. Um, but the three of us trying to meet over Zoom was a... I don't, it, it was a, it was a different experience. And it's I, meetings it, over Zoom. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it, it was it's the worst. It's the worst. It's, it's okay to say it's the worst. Yeah. It, it well, really, you're also dealing with two different time periods, as well yeah. as I have a full time job, and you know, I'm definitely yeah. cranky after six hours of meetings and trying to create ad content for the you know the day to day, and and then I get on the the phone with them, and they're like okay, where are all of your ideas? And I was like, they're, they're all in the banner ads I just created. I'd, I'm just like, ah, yeah, it, stay fresh. It really tested our resilience, I think. Um, and I think it really put everything that we've learned so far and all of our other shows to the test. Um, well, the nice, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the nice thing is, is that what you've got, just is so accomplished and feels so polished, um, you know, with, within the, within the limits of, you know, DIY, you, we're going to, we're going to do some stuff using zoom, but that's the thing is like, it does, it does because of you, the way you bring in pre-recorded elements and there are the, the videos that take place outside the world and, you know, outside of the, the sessions and there's email exchanges, like, it builds up to kind of break out of the box of, oh, this is a this is a show on Zoom. Because I think right now when someone says to me, oh, we're doing a show on Zoom, I just want to, you know, hurl the, the laptop. Because 20 people will say that in like a 15-minute span of time. And of those, there's maybe one or two that, like yourselves, aren't just saying okay i just got to put something in a window you know it's like the that's not what's happening here the window is a tool but there's a whole world that you've that that is beyond that window and i'm i'm so thankful that that's the approach you guys took yeah thank you for saying that that's really it's really what we were trying to create we wanted to make it feel like a world that was fully fleshed out and and a world that you didn't quite know where the limits of it were that the idea that it even when you left the zoom meeting that that world could still be going on even though you weren't witnessing it yeah well that i mean i don't want to i don't want to sort of spoil the the sort of ending but like i think that the ending plays a crucial role in the continuation of that that world is that like the world's still going on like we you know, we like wanted to wrap things up, but we also wanted to leave it in a way that like, well, A, could continue like, you know, the, the story of Luke and Leo, but also that allows us to sort of expand on this, like this idea of these departments. Um, I, I think that that was sort of very crucial, even in that sort of, you know, wrapping up and like us, I mean, we, we like went in circles about how it should end and like the best way it should end and like how to like wrap things up in a nice way, but also like kind of leave them open because I think especially again right now, like everything is sort of so dependent on, you know, so many factors of the world that like you kind of have to be okay with the openness and kind of have to be okay with like, I don't know all of the answers just yet. Yeah. Well, you, you guys have definitely in this iteration succeeded in skating that line. Um, you're going to be keeping this running uh, through the rest of the year is the intent. And I know like the current block of shows I think is booked out, but if folks want to uh, connect and they want to, they want to get in on the next wave, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, just by going to uh, linkdancetheater.com. Um, that's where you can really find uh, a catalog of all our past work and all the relevant information about the newest show. Um, or you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, we're just at linked dance theater. You can find us there. 
Uh, and I think we'll be making announcements as tickets flow um, on everything immersive. Uh, and uh, I probably should really create that like that wait list or at least the, the email blast that'll notify people. I do have one question though, Noah, just to sort of mm -hmm. flip the script. Yeah, um, sure. Oh, what boy. something that like you thought might have been or like that you you found unexpected about the show? Oh geez. I mean the this one's a little hard to answer in a sense because the week I was doing it was the absolute height of the the George Floyd protests. So it was very surreal to be plugging myself into uh even just for like a half hour 40 minutes at a time into this this alternate reality that was still like in a way very firmly based in the still ongoing pandemic uh crisis but the other crisis had taken center stage so but what was probably oddest with that in mind was that as much as at like the beginning of a session, I might've felt like I was betraying reality by like looking away from what was happening for a moment by the end of any session, or even within a few minutes, I was no longer that, that stress, that, that magnetic draw of like, well, what's, what's going on now? Like what's what's happening in Seattle? What's happening in Atlanta? Uh, something's going on. Like I was able to let myself into the world you had made. And so much of that, not even so much of that, like that was almost completely on the backs of, of Kendra and Rita. Um, and having another person uh, to kind of anchor it off. Like I, I did not expect that there would be so much character interaction in a piece from y'all because what everyone had always talked to me about you guys was how good you were at, you know, doing site specific narrative dance work. And that's something that I have a deep appreciation of um, dance theater and particularly even like nonverbal dance theater is uh, is a big favorite of mine. And this, this wasn't necessarily what I was going to expect when someone just like put, you know, a label, you know, it's like, Oh, here's the company they do, they do dance theater. And it, it felt a lot more like, and I mean this in a, in a perfectly fine way, like a theater company, one of whose sort of special effects is dance that it's deployed in order to make an emotional point or explore an idea when words fail as opposed to something that is entirely rooted in the movement alone and where the words are, would be an intrusion almost. Um, Cause I'm, I'm thinking now of like you know, the, one of my favorite memories of, of going to the ballet and I don't have, I don't have a ton of them, but my mom, my mom was a choreography student when she was in college. So I got, I, you know, years later I got dragged, well not dragged, like she took me to a fair amount of dance when she was teaching. And then in college, like I tried to return the favor a couple of times and we went one time to the Oakland ballet, did a recreation of uh, the ballet Russes, uh, Nijinsky's Bolero. Uh, like they they took they got the notes out and they did like the full recreation uh, oh, wow. did the full sets uh it was it was fantastic and there's a little bit of vocalization in 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 that thing but like that remains one of the best theatrical experiences on a visceral level just like just better than 
better than 90% of the plays, better than 100% of the musicals I've, I've ever seen. Um, and and just does such an amazing job of telling a story, right? A story just through movement and and music and indeed through heavy acting on the part of the dancers uh what was interesting that night in particular was like the the oakland ballet um paired it with like a very like late 60s early 70s super modernist piece that i just like postmodernist modernist piece it was all abstract and it just oh, made me want to like just made me want to burn the building down <laughs> i was like yeah. it's it like people like vibrating like as if like a television had like gone out of whack and i was like what the hell is this garbage you know i was like does this theater need to stand oh it's the paramount in oakland it's beautiful yeah this shouldn't be in here um and and just couldn't be more night and day and my my the thrill i get to this day when I go to a dance performance and I, I find something that does an amazing job of telling a story and an amazing job of, of having, you know, I don't want to say be like Nijinsky's Bolero. Like, I don't think nothing's reached that level quite yet. But when, when, when anything's even like ascending the same way, uh, that creates a great thrill for me. And you guys aren't working in the same on the same part of the instrument. You're, you're not on the same set of keys on the piano, but you're on the keyboard. And what you're actually doing is you're drawing down, at least in this piece, you're drawing down some of that ballet russe power in that this relationship of movement to the truth of the soul is very much the dialogue that's being spoken kinetically. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think you, you say it so beautifully. It's like, that's exactly, that's exactly what we're going for. Good. Um, and that makes me happy. That's what you're going for. But, but that you marry, well, like, like, I mean, honestly, like, you know, I didn't expect the acting and the, and the dialogue to be as good as it was <laughs> that there to be like that. And also there to be like a supernaturalistic, like you got to play within a play here. And like the videos are like totally naturalistic. And then they reach up into this, like, you know, kinetic space, but then you've got this, like, you know, kind of cartoony world with these, these, you know, charactery people that, that managed to, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, not an easy alchemy. And, <laughs> and I don't, I don't envy you like casting out bigger things to get more people who can do that. Cause it's very much, you know, there's, there's a tone here. Um, but you know, just, just some yeah. just some high standards you said <laughs> I mean we, we are truly truly uh blessed with the collaborators that we have who are just so multi-faceted and not only like our performers but our our composer Brendan Littlefield who worked on this piece and created all the music that you heard and who's created music for us in the past I I I think that we as a company like to be like those performers that we love to work with. We want to use all these tools and we don't want to limit ourselves to just being a dance company or just being a theater company, but we want to use all these beautiful elements, theater, dance, music, very purposely to ultimately film. tell. Yeah, yeah, film, to ultimately tell a story. Um, and so I think, I love everything that you just said, Noah. That's, we, we really are striving to have all those things working in tandem and, and not to just box ourselves into one, one little area of saying, like, this is what we do. We're always trying to expand and tr try and push the boundaries of, of what we can do. Well, I'm definitely glad you guys are on that road and um, you, are, you are forging there. All right. Well, 
once again, where can everybody find you so that uh, they, they get their call to action? You want to do it this time, Jordan? Sure, I'll do it this time. So they can find us on uh, linkeddancetheater.com. Oh, or, that's theater with an R-E. That's theater with an R-E. Uh, and or uh, Instagram uh, at, at theater. And we will also be posting updates on everything immersive about our new shows and our um, when new tickets release for Like Real People Do, the Long Distance Relationship Division. All right. Keep an eye out for that, everybody. And Jordan and Kendra, thanks again for joining me today. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Jordan and Kendra for being our guests on the show today. Um, I'm I'm sleepy this morning. I I don't. Uh, I think I I ate too much sugar yesterday, and I think I've crashed my entire system because of it. Uh, I don't even know why I ate too much sugar. I just uh, I I yeah. Ben and Jerry's man. Um, it's it's it is the season or something like that. I don't know. I'd never had chubby hubby. And then I, I, I've been really getting into like the idea of Ben and Jerry's lately, uh, because it's, it's a, it's a good company (laughs) and those are rare and chubby hubby is one of their signature, uh, flavors. I know like I, I'm not young and I've been to scoop shops. It's not like, I remember when the, I remember Berkeley got its first scoop shop. I was like there. (laughs) Like on opening day or something like that. Like, I'm serious about my ice cream, and somehow I had never had chubby hubby. I think it's because like I don't want to be a chubby hubby, uh, which you know, um, well, I got half that right. <laughs> um, so also like I tend to, I always you know I was always a chocolate kid. You know, I poo pooed vanilla for a very long time because vanilla is vanilla. It's literally like. It is code word for basic. Like we used to call things vanilla before we called them basic. But but as years have gone on, I've I've come to appreciate vanilla and particularly malted vanilla. And malted vanilla with peanut butter and then with like some fudge and then like chocolate covered pretzels. That's chubby hubby. <laughs> it's really good. And I ate a whole pint yesterday in two sittings. Two sittings, not one. Um I just I'm yeah, like who cares? Um, uh, I'm supposed to like talk about like the pandemic or about stuff. I've spent a week off social media for the most part. Uh, I had to go in and do like one or two things, um, and, and some stuff like this video is only showing on Twitter, so like watch it. Um, gosh, it's been it's been kind of good for me. I cleared through my email inbox, and I've been doing more editing on the site. So, um, that time that I was doom scrolling really, um, you know, there's, there's psychological room. Um, and I feel more prepared to take on like some, some more battles that are looming because it never ends. Um, things are weird out in the world right now. Hence eating an entire pint of chip. You know, I mean, look like it's normal. That's why they put the full calorie count on the back of the thing. To try to dissuade you from eating the whole thing because I know you're gonna do it. They're like, you realize it's a day's worth of calories. I'm like, I'm counting on that. Um, <laughs> so um, it's been uh, it is really good actually. I want some more. I've got some coffee, coffee buzz, 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 but I'm not lying myself to that till next week. Um, see, I'm a coffee ice cream guy, is what I really am. What a shock. Um, there's uh, you know, it looked like we were all headed towards reopening uh, across the country. And then like, you know, then everyone was like, Oh, wait a second. There's a pandemic. Oh yeah. That thing. Um, I'm not going to get into, you know, whole like wear your mask, da, 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 and all that stuff. But um, I, I do want us to start thinking about, okay, so what kind of work beyond the stuff that's online can be done under these conditions? Um, you know, what, what is, what is safe so that we can start connecting with each other again, uh, in physical space, 
even if we're not physically connecting with each other, even if we're still at a distance. This is the design challenge. <laughs> we're all participating in a very high stakes design challenge right now. Uh, so, and I think it's, it's time people, you know, started thinking about that if they haven't already and started playing around with it and iterating on it. Um, not necessarily as a big mass market thing, not necessarily as something, uh, that, you know, you're going to aim to make a whole lot of money on, uh, but just, just for people's mental health and sanity, um, because folks, folks need outlets and folks you know, really do sort of need to be able to get some of this energy out and, you know, get properly re-socialized to take what's going on seriously. Like uh, things, things are, things are interesting in terms of the, the way the demographics are going, right? It's like, there's a huge uptick in people under the age of 50 who are, are now getting infected. That's where the cases are. Uh, deaths are, are you know, as of two weeks ago, we're holding steady, but remember the mortality rate stuff is, is two weeks behind. Like whatever's happening right now, that's because that's what was going on two weeks ago. Uh, so don't, don't put too much emphasis on that as the case rates go up. Like it's still an uncertain picture. And we know that, you know, Disneyland isn't going to open, uh, in the middle of July at this point, you know, it's going to be a little longer. There's been a lot of pushback from employees kind of thank God on that. Uh, you know, we've been writing some guideline stuff. Uh, guidelines is the wrong word. Uh, finding the actual word because it's not recommendations and it's not guidelines because it's not legally bounding and da 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 da. Ah, lawyers. Um, <laughs> you want one on your side and you don't want to see one on the other side of the table. Simple as that. Um, we've been working on some language at Leia to help people like think about how they're doing stuff, and these these uh you know, unprecedented times gets thrown around a lot, but that's because we're at unprecedented times. So, um, but the, the challenge is there and we need it, you know, like, uh, we, we need to see each other's faces. We need to be reminded that we exist in space together. I think, um, in, in, a in a lot of ways, the, the protests, um, that happened in the wake of, of the, of the murder of George Floyd really helped had this interesting side effect of, of reminding everybody that there's other people out there, like, you know, and, and letting people connect with each other and feeling that we're part of something that we're all part of something. Uh, some people, you know, very excited to be part of something and some people kicking and screaming uh, were, but the art of immersive is really the art of connection. Uh, I was talking with some high school students who were doing an internship thing at Stanford this week, and I was trying to impress upon them, you know, that idea, uh, that drama is at the heart of what we do here, um, that it's not just about the, the, the quantity of connections you can make in a production or the quality of the bandwidth that we were dealing with, but the qualities within that bandwidth, what are you playing with? What are you exploring? And, and how is that being manifested in the interpersonal dynamics between characters, between characters and audience, between audience and audience? Those are, those are the key things. And there's, a way in which having our tools be limited over the past few months has sort of refocused on that core competency of connection. Um, and also sets us up, sets this field up in very particular as being one that is very well suited for when things return uh, and even, and I don't want to say to normal, because we'll never be, what was before will not be again in many ways. But there's a better future ahead of us. Smarter, saner, safer, more equitable, more just future that we can get to. And this art form with its emphasis on connection 
it's emphasis on empathy. I know it's it's uh, you know it's sort of gauche to talk about like you know because there was like viewers an empathy machine and then everyone proved you know it's just another way to sell shooters. Um, and that that terminology was used to like you know kind of mask you know some of the intents of some kind of nasty people, but there is every tool has a bias. A knife cuts. A typewriter destroys things um every tool has a bias and it's my belief that the bias of this tool is emotional interpersonal connection whether you're building a selfie palace or you're crafting a one-on-one zoom-based performance experience it's the connection that's the thing it's a two-way street or it's a sandbox for others to connect in and golly gee willikers do we want that right now or what so there you go there's your marching orders i'm gonna keep drinking this coffee I'm going to try and get my brain back in body and uh, figuratively, not literally. And um, I'm going to keep watching these, uh, this colony of cats, which is uh, outside of my window, who sadly are not responding to the melodic sound of my voice. I wish they were. That'd be cool. I like cats. All right. Have a good weekend. I'll see you back here next week. I'll see you on the site. And yes, I'll see you at least a couple of days on uh, the social media. So uh, let's do the credits. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Our sustaining backers are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, Sydney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com and our news wiry stuff is starting to be at everythingimmersive.com. I need to figure out new ways to talk about this at the end of the show. Looks like I got to do some writing. All right. Until next time, wear the mask. <laughs> <laughs>